After years of fine print contracts and getting ripped off by overpriced wireless providers, if we've learned anything, guys, it's that there's always a catch. So when I heard that for a limited time, all Mint Mobile wireless plans are 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan, I thought, what's the catch? But after talking to them, it all made sense. There isn't one. Mint Mobile's secret sauce is that they sell wireless service online. They cut out the cost of retail stores and pass those sweet savings directly on to you. I haven't skipped a beat using Mint Mobile services. I have a great service even when I'm traveling for over less than 70% of what I was paying before. Listen to Uncle Chael and say bye-bye to your overpriced wireless plans, jaw-dropping monthly bills and unexpected overages. Mint Mobile is here to rescue you with premium wireless plans starting at 15 bucks a month. All plans come with high-speed data and unlimited talk and text delivered on the nation's largest 5G network. Use your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and bring your phone number along with all your existing contacts. Ditch overpriced wireless with Mint Mobile's limited time deal and get three months of premium wireless service for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash chael. That's mintmobile.com slash chael. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash chael. $45 upfront payment required. That's equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower, above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tacova's is your first stop for the best in Western style. And by the way, you don't have to be into the Western look to grab a good-looking pair of boots. I recently got a pair of ostrich skin round-tip boots, and I'm warm with my suit. These boots are so versatile that I can throw them on with a full head-to-toe suit. And Anthony Smith came right up to me and he's asking me where I got them. Well, I told him the only place to get them, Tacovas. And they have a seasonal limited edition offering. It's right now, this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, accessory, and more. My wife just surprised me with the ostrich wallet and a belt for my birthday, in case you've seen me. I feel like I look pretty sharp in it. I truly do. And Tacova's has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Plus, their direct-to-consumer pricing keeps value on your feet and money in your pocket. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary beverage or two, and shop for new styles. The smell of fresh leather and a friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience quite like it. If you can't make it into the store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and they ship right to your door. Go to tecovas.com and find your favorite pair of boots today. What's happening, guys? Happy Friday! And 
thank you for joining another special episode of your welcome well it's an exciting time to be a fan of the bantamweight division because coming up on today's show i'm going to talk about sugar shot o'malley i'm also going to give you my official prediction for vera versus cruz but before that i want to discuss kamara uzman and whether i think he lost his focus headed to next week's title fight all of that soon but first let's talk about bo nickel Wrestlers Unite. Guys, we've had this talk before. We've had this talk before, but we now have a representative that's Bo Nickel. And one thing that we don't do great is the wrestling community. And by the way, I don't want to push anyone else out. I want everybody to come around this Bo thing. I just want you to understand what's happening. But very specifically, wrestling is deemed as a niche sport. It's deemed as, as, as very small. That isn't true. There are enough people out there that touch the wrestling community. Whether they wrestled, their granddad wrestled, their child wrestles, they like to go catch matches, there's enough of them out there to do a sustainable business. The problem with wrestling is we part. We don't stay loyal. We don't come back. We don't come and celebrate. Our careers were so darn hard. There was such sacrifice. And almost everybody leaves looking at their own career as a failure. I wanted to be the champion. I wanted to be the Olympic gold medals. I didn't do that. I have failed. It's a very interesting thing in wrestling. I know guys who are depressed and have even had to get counseling who are Olympic silver medalists. They truly feel that way. It was a fail. So it's one of these things where when people get done wrestling, they, they don't always come back. I want everybody to come back for Bo Nickel. Bo Nickel is now representing your community and he is the leader. He is the leading representative Anywhere in combat. It's happened before. I can go back to when Henry Cejudo got in. I can fast forward to when Ben Askren got in. We've had times where wrestlers have come forward. But guys, if you go back to the 90s, wrestling didn't even know they were a martial art. We didn't know we were tough guys. We didn't know we had skills. I'd wrestled my whole life. I never thought of myself as that. I would quickly cower to somebody somewhere thinking they were bigger or stronger. The guy had a tattoo and I thought that's how it worked. I mean, right there was just these times in our life that a guy named Dan Severin gets into something called the UFC pushes Hoist Gracie further than everybody did, and he's using skills that I happen to possess. And when I say me, I'm the, the base of wrestling. So we found out a little bit late, then we're very proud of it. We're really proud. We're really starting to get some respect. We're getting some street cred. People started to look at us different. It was a very exciting thing. But then comes the turn of the century, and it wouldn't matter how good you were at wrestling, if that's all you were good at, you did not have a spot on the roster. So wrestling started getting a little way. Now, everybody did respect it. It wouldn't matter if you're Israel Adesanya, who has simply never used wrestling in any contest and doesn't even have a vision to use wrestling. He practices wrestling. He respects it. He understands it. But I'm only sharing that it is now a piece, just like the boxing, just like a kickboxing, just like the grappling and jujitsu acts. It's just a piece. It's not a dominant art. So then you get a guy like Bo Nickel, who has a chance to put us back on the map. He has a chance to go out there and show that that grit and grind and that competitive spirit, it's very important that we get behind him. Not to mention, I know Bo. He's not going to let you down. Some guys do. I'm not talking about wins and loss. He's not going to let you down. You're going to be scrolling TMZ one day and all of a sudden somebody's in handcuffs. It's just not like that. you got a good guy here. you got the right guy. I just want you to understand that he really is doing it for us. There is a lot on his shoulders. He's not out jet-setting and flying around getting these huge paychecks. It's nothing like that. 
Not to mention, no matter how much they will pay Bo in his career, if you went ahead and averaged that out to every competition that Bo's had, you got to understand, this young man has never competed less than 40 times in a calendar year. Never. Since he was nine years old. He's now 24, 25. I mean, you go do the math. You're in about hundreds and even approaching a thousand matches at zero. It wouldn't matter what they get. I don't want the jealousy side to come in. That's what I don't want to come in. I don't want people to go, why am I elevating Bo? Why are we just raising up Bo? What about me? No, he's doing it for you and you're missing it. And he's taking some very big risks. Now, he was on the Contender Series last night. This was purely due to propaganda, media sensation, potential, and expectation. That is awesome. It's just a hard deal to get. Aaron Pico was the hottest prospect that I had ever personally seen in the history of our sport. When Aaron Pico stepped into the Bellator cage, nobody went in with more pressure and more expectation. Bo has probably not exceeded that, but he's right there on this page. He goes into a Dana White contender series. He'd only had one professional bout. He had the thousand amateur bouts I talked about. And one professional bout, he's headlining the contender series in front of the boss. There is a respect put on that. There's a pressure, but there is most definitely an appreciation as to what you have accomplished and what your potential is. To do that, he didn't get the contract and he won. He gets put in the feature match. He goes out and wins. It's absolutely dominant. He was never hit. He put the guy away. He did it all in a matter of minutes and he doesn't get a contract. Is there anybody else in the history of the contender series that you could say that about? Was not even touched. Got a finish. Did great ratings and didn't get picked up. Well, article came out, said Bo Nickel snubbed. Now, I just want to explain to you guys what you're seeing here. You, you live in a world where perception is reality. And the perception, which has become the reality, is that fighters are nothing more than whores. And they will go to the highest bidder. Whoever the promoter is that gets behind you that's got more commas and zeros, that's where you go. That largely is the reality. I'm only sharing for you. That is not what the spirit should be or was ever meant to be. When you have a promoter, you have somebody that's going to build you. That's what promote means. Promote means to go up. To get you more eyes, more opportunities, more attention, which you then can turn into a career. You can find a way to monetize. It's not just that guy writing the check like he's your dad. That's not what it is. A promoter is somebody that believes in you, knows who you are, and is going to promote you, going to bring you up. So Bo Nickel with his promoter of Dana White on day one with only one match experience professionally went into a main event of a major broadcast. That's promoting. Now, if that promoter truly cares about you. He truly sees something. He's, he's factored in all the math all the way down to your age, representing a potential shelf life. If he does that, he's not going to throw a bunch of zeros and commas at you. He's going to throw an opportunity at you. That is the true job of the promoter. It has been corrupted through money. And I'm not against the guys that go and chase the money, by the way. I'm one of those guys. I'm sharing with you the spirit And what was being viewed as a snub to Bo was a calculated and professional, not to mention appropriate decision. Hey, I saw what you did. I don't dispute any of the numbers. I don't dispute that you were never touched. You were never taken down. You were never punched. You were never kicked. I don't dispute that you got dominant position. I don't dispute that you found a finish and you did it all in a very impressive fashion with a lot of pressure on you. I don't dispute that. 
but I've seen a lot of guys and you're not ready yet. I have a level where I can look after you right now. But once I put you in the locker room with these other killers is protect yourself at all times. So while I right now have an ability, what I'm going to do is I'm going to get you one more match. I'm going to promote you because now I've just given you a story. You are a main event now. I'm bringing you back under a very special clause, which is that you win no matter how you look. I tell everybody they've got to look a certain way, they have to perform a certain way. I'm going to take that from you. All you have to do is win. But if you come back and do this a second time, which isn't generally how it's done, I'll lessen what the performance needs to be, and I'll make you a deal in advance. That's awesome. That's promotion. What Dana White did for Bo Nickel last night is why you trust a guy with your career in the first place. It was one of the great moves of the Contender Series. It was extremely responsible because I also saw what Dana saw. I see a world champion there at some point. I see a dominant best fighter in the world with the belt headlining pay-per-views at some point. And if you can get him a little bit more experience, not to mention the pressure, I mean, this is a very real thing. Now, for Bo Nickel, he may not have felt it. He's in a crowd. There's not a whole bunch of people there. He probably got his mom and dad somewhere in there. He wants to go out and win. Opportunity. If you followed Bo Nickel's career... When he's walked out in front of 17,000 people live on ESPN to wrestle for a championship, of which comes with eligibility, which means it doesn't matter where his skills are, in comparison to everybody else, he also has to meet parameters. They are going to one day take his eligibility. It will not matter if he's better than everybody else. He will not even have the opportunity to compete. I mean, that's pressure, and he did that multiple times. But to put him in one of these environments and to call it a snub, it's just not how I saw it. There's a lot of really good things that comes from fighting. Like, by example, you might look at Bo's fight last night and go, well, he didn't get any better. How could he? He had nothing happen to him. There was no adversity. He didn't even warm his lungs up. He wasn't hit. We don't know how he can deal with stuff. He didn't have a southpaw. There was nothing tricky. I mean, you, you can do that, but you're, you're missing where the experience comes from. You'll see a guy that was retired or he was on a break. He comes back. He goes out there. He fights. He looks terrible, and he was only out there for two minutes, and he goes, no, hey, I'm ready. I got the rust off. What does that mean? How, you, two minutes out there and you look bad. What do you mean you're ready? Well, there's other things that come with it, guys. Going through the training camp, getting the paperwork done, making the flight, making the way in, going through that process, getting up in a hotel room that's quiet and alone when you don't have support. You're about to go into a, a sporting event. The only sport in the world that is not predicated upon point discrepancy. It is predicated on damage. That person is here to damage you. I and mean, that's very tough language. And when you go through those experiences, that's where you get better. That's where you start to get that shine. What happened to Bo Nickel last night was awesome. And the responsibility that his promoter put into him, not commas and zeros, the responsibility the and the elevation. Don't forget what promote means. People think promote means I'm on a billboard. People think promote means I'm in Times Square. Promote just means to elevate. That's all it means. You get a promotion at work, you get a promotion at work, you elevate. Bo Nickel is now elevated. His promoter did not stump him. His promoter did his job. So Bo Nickel has said, not only does he want to be UFC champion, but he also wants to be viewed as the pound for pound best fighter in the world. Maybe someday, but for now, that title belongs to Kamara Usman, who's got a fight going down next weekend.
Kamara Usman appears. This is just an appearance. I'm an outsider. I'm looking up at the same same evidence that you guys have. He appears to be thinking about everything in the world except Leon Edwards. I mean, he just was part of a, a glorious moment for his brother. It's his big brother, but it's his younger brother who just won the Ultimate Fighter, the toughest tournament in all of sports. This same recognition and award that Kamara won, his brother now won. I mean, that's a great focus. How much time and attention went into that? What was his involvement exactly? Has he come down from that high? Has he resurfaced? That fight was out in Vegas. How long did he spend there? And he's away from his gym. I'm just asking questions. But I mean, he's got a fight that's eminent. Kamara's got one more week of training, just so you guys understand. He has six days in the practice room, most. Much likelier four. And then whatever exercise and calisthenics he will be doing will be for weight management. He'll be in recovery. Point is that Hayes almost in the barn. Is he fully focused? Guy, I caught interviews. My goodness, he's talking about Canelo. I caught an interview just recently. He's talking about Jake Paul. I caught a media push that he did that his manager, Ali, backed up. They meant it. Talking about Jan Blahovitz. Talking about Yuri Prohaska. Right, time at 205 pounds. Why is he doing that? Like, you will see the greats many times lose focus. You will see them take your eye off the ball. No, that's not what's happening here. It's not what's happening here at all. He knows he's got Leon. He knows Leon's prepared. He knows Leon's the rightful contender. He knows how hard this is going to be. He knows what he has to do to be ready for that fight. That's not what's happening here. But something's happening. He's not distracted. He is not underestimating. There, there, we're not on the brink of a huge upset because Kamar Tuzman got too big for his britches. That's not what's happening. But before all of the things that I just laid out for you, which are a lot of things that don't involve his impending title defense before that, he had a hand surgery. He had a recovery phase. There's a lot of moving parts, but I don't maintain for you that it's as obvious as it looks. I do not believe is that he is underestimating or looking past Leon. I think Kamara is interested in some degree in doing something else. That is a big deal. One of the only ways you're going to get the strap off of Kamara Usman, one of the most likely ways that you're going to do it, because we put, we put every hammer in there that we knew, we put every gun for hire that was available. We forked over all the money to get him beat. It didn't happen. He wasn't even losing rounds. The most likely and realistic way that you get on with that division and you get some fresh blood in there is if Kamara walks away. He doesn't have to leave the sport. He can stay in the sport. He's talking about that. He's talking about going up to 205 pounds. But if he's talking about 200, going 205 pounds, can we sell him on 185 pounds? Maybe. Have we tried? He's talking about fighting Canelo. Jake Paul's just good enough. And if he's going to go over, I mean, it's, it's one of these situations where I do believe there's a piece of Usman. Perhaps it's subconscious and he's not aware of it, that he's looking to do something different. And you're going to get tired, guys. Everything in the world turns into a job. The things that you love, that you aspire to do, that's exactly what I want to do. Once you're doing it, over a period of time, it becomes a job. It's now not something that you enjoy. And I could only imagine how difficult it would be to stay motivated when you've lapped a division. I never had that level of success. 
to beat everybody and then beat them a second time. You're talking about doing something and you're talking about improving that you did it, right? It's a very rare level of success that you would ever find a person who's in that spot. Now, here's what I'd like to share with you. I think Kamara is considering, not that he's decided, not that this is done. I think he's considering getting some fresh blood and some fresh options. If he's got to go to a different weight class to do it or he's got to go into a different sport, these same goddamn names are frustrating him and annoying him, and he's starting to find them boring and dull. That's what I think. Now, has he made up his mind? Is he laying the groundwork because he has decided that he's going to do X more? Whether that's fights, defenses, months, or years. He's going to do X more, and then he is going to make a change. Is that what he's doing, or does he does he not do that? Like, I don't know that he's fully aware I don't know that there's a big plan that's about to get hatched and that your days of seeing Kamara Usman at 170 pounds are limited. I don't know about that. But even if it's subconsciously, something is in his mind that gets real close to something that I just set down. Something has become mundane. Something is not giving him that drive that he used to feel and he's still searching for. There's some reason that he's taught me, right, boxing between Jake Paul and Canelo, it's a very different match. Now, all of a sudden, we're not talking about fighting, and we're not talking about money, and we're not talking about winning things. We're just talking about going and doing something different. That is a vast, being okay whether your opponent is Canelo, who's 150 pounds, or Jake Paul, who's 190 pounds. One who is a multiple-time world champion, and, and one that's only done it three or four times. Right now, you're just, I just want to go do something else. That's the only message that you're getting there. Come on, I don't care if it's a Rosca, I don't care if it's Glover, I don't care who it is. I want it at 205, and it's got to be for the belt. I mean, now you're just talking about doing something else. And I would be curious, how close am I to right? I'm right to some degree. But if you've got a scale of 1 to 100, maybe I'm only at a 3. Maybe I'm just scratching this. Maybe I'm at a 1. I'm on there somewhere, though. I'm not at a 0. I'm somewhere. I'm touching something that is internally being debated and bounced around inside of Kamara's mind. I just don't want you guys to get the wrong opinion. And I know it's coming. I know within the next two weeks, if he does not put a laser focus on Leon, every time he opens his mouth, he's talking about Leon. He's talking about a strategy. He's talking about a game plan. He's talking about, I studied him. I got to step this way. I got to watch for this. And I got to roll. If he's not doing that, a narrative going into the fight is going to be that he has lost his focus. Now, I don't know that he's going to beat Leon. Nobody does. Only got a 50% chance just by the numbers of going in there. I predict him to beat Leon. I do predict him. But I'm aware that that's a very hard match against the best in the world and the next best thing. And on the back end of that story, if it goes in the favor of Leon, I know there's going to be a dialogue that it's because Kamara wasn't focused. Eh. That's not what's happening here. Because every time you see him doing interviews, he's talking about different sports, different weight classes, and different guys. It's not because he's lost respect for Leon. He's searching for a certain motivation that he used to have, and he used to find it easy. He used to have this drive. This guy's the level of success. He's not only beaten everybody, he's beaten them twice. He's a human being. Got a hard match in front of him. Maybe you're reading his interviews, and you're looking forward to this, and you're coming to a conclusion that he is not fully focused on the task at hand. I really do believe that you're misunderstanding
So Kamara Usman will headline UFC 278. And the following month, we got Nate Diaz taking on Chimaev in Las Vegas. Someone very close to Diaz spoke out about the fight this week. And I want to give you some thoughts on it. Caesar Gracie weighing in on his student, Nate Diaz, as Nate's getting ready for Chimaev. And Caesar, of course, was very confident. And he broke the fight down to two categories. Stand up, ground. He favored Nate in both. Now, sure that doesn't surprise you when we don't need to go in the back and forth to, is he right? It was an interesting comment for me because I only have two critiques of Nate Diaz in his entire career. Two critiques of Nate was, hey, chill, you know, what do you see? I know you watched my fight. You see, you see anything there? I can only say two things. And the first is that I believe Nate breaks a fight down the way that his trainer just stated it, which is stand up and ground. But I don't agree with that. And neither do the judges. And neither do the unified rules. And neither is history. The most important part of the fight is the in-between. When you go to the ground, was it your choice and are you on top? That is how decisions are based. Every decision in UFC history, save one. One time, a guy was on bottom against his will and won. It was Boss Rutten versus Kevin Randleman for the World Championship. That is the only exception that you will find. Now, I bring that to you because Nate does not agree. Neither does Nick. Based on this very brief statement by Caesar, I don't think Caesar agrees. I think those guys saying, hey, listen, I'm on bottom, but this is where I work. This is where I do my best work. Notice where my hips are. Notice what I'm blocking. Notice my strikes. Uh, notice my attempts. Notice the effort that I'm doing. Those aren't terrible arguments. I'm just sharing with you that historically in MMA, they have not been rewarded. They are in other forms of combat that the Caesar Gracie team does compete in. So that would just be a critique. It would just be a critique of me to go, hey, I got to tell you what these judges are looking for. They're disagreeing with you about activity and skill once you get to the ground. They are favoring a top. I would just suggest that. And my other critique to Nate. So Nate is known, and this won't catch you guys by surprise, as Mr. Cardio. Five rounds is no problem. And I have personal experience with this. I have sparred with Nate. And I've, I've sparred with guys, I don't know, 20 years, 25 years. I remember them all. Like, I would never misplace a guy or know not to say hello to him if I saw him 20 years later. If we sparred, I know who he is. But to remember the sparring session is different. To remember the guy or the fact that it happens is very different than remember the session. I remember my sparring session with Nate as though it was this morning. It was hard. And it was harder than I thought it would be 155 pounds. I was 205 pounds. It was, it, was, it was one of these things. There was a pace. There was a way that he went. Plus, he would do what Clayton Hires calls punch a hole in your gas tank, which is he would slip outside and he would hit me in the body. Oh, it would be one of the, oh, and all of a sudden you're not breathing as good. All of a sudden your cardio is going. It's just one of these things where this pace of Nate, as much as you guys believe in it, it is very real. He likes the later rounds, but my critique, that was a compliment, my critique is I do feel sometimes with the idea of getting 
to rounds four and five with the idea of revving up as he goes that he starts slow. There was a fight that Nate had, I believe it is his single best performance. And not not because of outcome. Guy could lose a fight and I could still, hey, that was the performance. That's what you need to do. But there was there was a performance that I think stands out above all for Nate. It was a three-round fight, opposite of what he likes. He won all three rounds against a former world champion who once upon a time was on the cover of the Wheaties box, Anthony Pettis. I think Nate's single greatest performance, pushing the pace, staying on him, implementing his game plan. But what I loved about it that was different He did it from the second that referee said go. He did not throw away a part of a round or an entire round. Or sometimes with Nate, about seven minutes. Even if he wins the first round, he wasn't really really trying to push the pace. He was feeling out. He was getting warmed up. And even partway through the second round, I've seen this. And I think for Nate to use that conditioning, use it early. And I don't know why he's a slow starter. I'm just observing that I feel he starts slower than he needs to, because I do feel it's his choice. I feel he is purposely by strategy, keeping it down just a little bit. He did not do that with Anthony Pettis. He was as dominant in the first round as he was in the last round. Generally, in a Nate fight, his last round is his best round. It was one of these weird exceptions. And if he could look inside himself, he could find why. And it'd be an answer guy. It'd be a real simple one. He made a decision. He was nervous. It came out of respect. It came out of fear. He didn't want to waste any time. It could also be as simple as the way that he warmed up at the back. I had many teammates over the years in the sport of wrestling that started slow in the first round. We had three rounds, too. They're only two minutes. It's a much shorter situation, but all the same that would come on later. All the rest of us would come to the gym, and we'd warm up on our own. Ah, Roll your shoulders. Ah, Maybe grab a partner. Maybe you move around. Do whatever you want for your warm-up. Coach Pittman would take these slow starters outside in their running. He'd run them five miles. He'd run them five miles at 9 a.m. before the tournament started. Because they would use some of those first rounds to get going, to find their second win, to get warmed up. So there were some tricks that you could do. And I don't know if that's the situation with Nate, but I do feel that my observation is very fair. I do think that he starts slow on purpose. But I will also tell you he has the ability to not because of exactly what he did with Anthony Pettis for 15 straight minutes. So it's one of these spots where the first thing Nate has to do is not beat Chemayev. Chemayev is just, just an X. That's, just, that's, that's a name you guys are focused on. Nate, Nate is not, believe me. Nate's first thing will be to get himself in shape. His second thing will be get himself to wait. His third thing will be report to the arena. His fifth thing will be get his hands wrapped. His sixth thing will be to warm up. His seventh thing will be okay that. But it's all about performance, right? With the great guys, it's not they're not it's not the outcome. It's the performance. Then they understand it's a two man sport. And this guy's going to do his thing. And at the end of the night, we're going to have to live with the result. And walk away. But I'm sharing before you get into the X's and O's and how that fight is going to go. That's not where Nate's at. Nate's just in the preparation of it. And he wants to go out there and he wants to perform well. And I've had these talks with Nate to some degree about, hey, you know, here's what the judges are looking for. No matter, no matter how good you feel on your back, perception, for reasons that are bigger than Nate and I. This, is, this isn't Nate and I or you. We don't, we don't get to weigh in on this. The rules are the rules. The officials and the history, I'm just making an observation that once they go to the, it's that in between that matters. 
said, in between this win and the fight, you want to be a better stand-up fighter than a guy, let's say you're right. Great. That is very relevant if you keep the fight standing up. It's very relevant to that. But when you start talking about who's better on the ground, there's just nowhere within the bylaws that have anything to do with that. One guy could look like a black belt and one guy could look like a white belt. It never once says skills or appearance of skills. It does not say submission attempts. Nowhere in there. I know you hear that. I know commentators love to tell you that. You will not find that. You will find a word. Damage. That is the word you're going to find. Afterneath damage, you're going to find another word called control. And you're just not going to convince somebody that you're controlling from your back. You're just not. So I think they're very interesting comments. I'll be curious if you guys agree with me. I'll be curious if you've made those same observations. And and Nick would go into that same school. Nick really does believe that he should be winning fights when he is more comfortable on his back, when he's looking for things, when he's shutting opponents down. And there's certain sports of combat where that is accurate. I'm just voicing... It's not how the MMA judges look at it. And Nate's, the way we're going to judge him isn't going to be outcome. It's going to be the way that he performs. And if Nate went in there with a strategy, I'm starting right now. That ref says, go, I'm going. No, we'll see you in the second round. No, I'll catch you later tonight, right now. Which he has the ability to do. And if he respects the in-between of the position when they go to the ground, I really think his performance is going to be viewed very positively. So coming up in a few minutes, I'm gonna give you my official prediction for tomorrow's main event between Cheeto Vera and Dominic Cruz. But first, I wanna talk about another bantamweight fight that's coming up and I'm looking forward to it. Sugar Sean, just give us some major insight. The insight is this. He is not told that he's in a number one contender's fight. That's the insight. I thought that he was, based on nothing. I just looked at the landscape, looked at the fight. I go, okay, whoever wins here is going to be the number one contender, particularly if it's Sean. Sean wins. I'm very confident he goes and fights for a championship. If Yon wins, but Aljo wins, it's not, not going to, it's the Colby Covington situation all over again. Very confident in telling you guys that. Now, I still think that I'm right. What I didn't know is, has Sean been told this? Is this what these guys were told? The announcement hasn't come. We haven't heard it yet. There's other 35-pound bouts. We're not going to put that out till later. Very common within our industry. But I now know that, no, he was not told that. And here's why I know. Sean was interviewing with Michael Bisping. And he told Bisping, I become the number one contender if I faceplant Yawn. If I stop him, if I look great, if I put him down, which is possible, this is going to be a high-level kickboxing match, he may flip the script and try to take me down. I'm not going to. I will grapple if he... Otherwise, we're just going to kickbox, and I'm better. And I'm going to face plan him, and when I do that, I will go for the title. Now, why that tells me that? So I don't agree with him. I do not think he has to do any of those things. I think he only has to get his hand raised. And I'm only bringing it to you. I want to know what you guys think. Am I off on this one? Is there another 35-pound fight that you think looks more compelling or that you think calendar-wise lines up better? I mean, don't forget, this fight is going to take place 
within the hour, the literal hour of the world championship of that division. So the calendar can't match up any better. You get two guys in the same night that are only separated by 60 minutes. It's very real that, that they just go match up with each other. But Sean thinks he's going to have to look good. Sean thinks he's going to have to stop him. Sean thinks he's going to have to dominate him. I mean, the other end of that coin would be if he squeaks out a decision. The furthest end of that coin would be if he squeaks out a decision that everybody claims is foul ball, was a bad call. I still think he becomes a number one contender. And if he doesn't, you'd be confronted with, well, then tell me who. And I think that's where the problem comes. I think if I'm missing something, please share it with me. If you think it's something else, please share it with me. But I think that's the one that they're all going to be looking for. I would not imagine if Sean won. I mean, I, I in my mind, I can't see the future. In my mind, I see very much like what we saw with Adesanya and Piera. They were literally separated within the hour. Adesanya closed the book on that that night with Joe Rogan before he left the octagon. The same as Adesanya does every single time. Every time Adesanya fights. Before he leaves the ring, he lets us know who's next. I just think you have a very similar situation. Sean's going to be under everybody's skin by then. If Sean goes out and gets a win, two fights later, if Dillashaw wins, I think he's going to call out Sean. If Aljo wins, I think he's going to call out Sean. It's just what I think. I was very strong on that until I found out Sean doesn't necessarily agree with me. Sean does not have some kind of inside information. Sean was not promised something great. He was just called like everybody else. Here's the fight and the date. You win or not. He said yes. He didn't need a carrot. He didn't need anything dangled in front of him. I respect it. I like knowing this. I think a lot of us thought, okay, you got this guy, big draw, beautiful record, younger guy, who's willing to step into a very deep end because he had a secret promise made to him. Turns out he didn't. I think that's interesting. I think it's a compelling part. I hope Sean doesn't see this piece. If he thinks he needs to go out there and he's preparing not just for victory, but for dominance, stoppage, face plant, as he put it, he's probably in a lot better place than me telling him, hey, man, any, any way you get it done, you're going for the title. I don't have the authority to say that, but I believe it. I'm a fan. I follow it closely. But please share with me, literally, please share with me. Is there another fight? Is there another storyline? Is there something scheduled that I'm missing? My official prediction for Cheeto Vera versus Dominic Cruz is going to be revealed in just a minute, guys. Let's work through this. Big stat on Dominic. The guy, I follow Dominic's whole career, and I keep I keep bringing this to you guys, but he was fighting three fights ago when John Anik just happens to announce that Dominic Cruz has never lost a fight that wasn't for a world championship. I did not know that. I mean, I knew he was good. The guy's going to be in the Hall of Fame. The guy's the champion of the world. The guy sat out injured three and a half years with double ACLs, one on each leg. Came back, won a world championship. I did not know he was that good. I mean, I, tr I truly did not. He's never lost a fight that was not a world title fight. Now, <clears throat> what's that got to do with anything? I mean, right, we know how father time works. You wake up one day and it's over. They have been calling for that day 
and waiting for that moment on Dominic Cruz for a meaningful period of time. Dominic Cruz is, I, 37. If I'm wrong, he's 38. He's already got other roles. He's becoming a very good quarterman. You, you guys see him commentating. He's a coach and a trainer. I mean, it's just one of these situations where for anybody else, if they were painted with a brush that I just said, it's over. It never works out. But nothing has changed for Dominic. He has done all the things that I just stated that he's done for years. And he's still only lost in world championship fights. Now, he's going home territory, okay? This fight's in San Diego. He's also returning, and as good as Dominic has looked, as good as he has looked post his last loss, which was to Cejudo, he has not had to be out there for five rounds. And if we are going to talk about the history of age, that's going to be relevant. Just doing the training and preparation to go in to five rounds. It's real. I don't know how much you want to factor it in, but it does mean something. Win or lose, this matters. If Dominic is to go out there and win in his decision, Decision Dom goes out there and he pushes for 25 minutes and gets the jump on a younger Cheeto Vera. It's, it's going to be a massive feather in the cap. I mean, come Monday morning, we're, ha we're having a very meaningful conversation about where Dominic Cruz currently stands in the division. But that is the one question that he has not had to answer in a reasonable amount of time. Even the fight with Cejudo, even though it was scheduled for five, my memory says they were over in the third. How is he going to do in that situation? He's certainly done it more times. He's certainly never faded historically. He's certainly proven to be in the five at round club more than Cheeto. But guess what I saw today, guys? I was over at DraftKings. I think this will surprise you. Maybe it doesn't. Dominic Cruz is a two and a half to one dog. Does that surprise me? I'm expecting that to be like my big moment where you all drop your drug. Oh my God, rewind this. What did Cheeto just say? Are, are you not having that reaction? I did. I assumed Dom would be the favorite. I assumed Dom was going to be the favorite to the point that I thought I was going to have to come in and, and kind of do what I'm doing with Dom, but do it with Cheeto. I was going to have to explain to you guys just how good Cheeto is. He just does it quietly. Just how high Cheeto is ranked, why he's being put in this situation. A guy who is now in a number one contender's fight named Sugar Sean has only lost one fight prior to being overturned by the Sugar State Athletic Commission, and it was to Cheeto Bear. I thought I was going to have to come in here today and tell you don't under underestimate Cheeto. He's been in there with world champions before. See Frankie Edgar. He has been losing fights before. He can deal with adversity. He's a true fighter. He's not a martial artist, this Cheeto Vera guy. You want to see a dirty, gritty cage fighter, go back to the fight I just referenced against Frankie Edgar, fighting on home soil of Frankie, fighting at Madison Square Garden, losing the entire fight. Guys that are losing the entire fight and come back to win, no matter how they do it, submission, TKO, knock, whatever it is, if you're losing a fight and you never take your arm off the ball and you're coming ahead, and then you find a way, it's rare and it's very impressive, and that's who Cheeto is. This is a cage fighter. This is a cage fighter against possibly the ultimate technician the sport has and possibly ever has had. It's a very different matchup. And people love to say that technique beats force. I hear that all the time. I would like that to be true. I I've never worked out the math on that, but it, it doesn't feel right. I mean, I feel like if I was to go right down the middle there, you, you got a 50-50 split. But this becomes a tough guy, Tontes. You only have who a better fighter is in the first five minutes. 
Dominic Cruz is going to win the first round. Dominic Cruz is a much more skilled and polished fighter. He's going to win the first round. Most guys win the first round against Cheeto. But the first five minutes is where who's better comes in. After that, you're in a tough guy contest. Who's tougher? Who wants it more? Who could push harder? It's very relevant. You got Dominic Cruz as a two and a half to one underdog on home soil. I mean, Dominic Cruz practically created the five round club. And now he's being questioned if he can hold up. I will admit the other side of the coin, which is Cheeto Vera gets stronger as the fight goes on. Cheeto Vera coming out in the second round, being down one to nothing, makes him stronger. It's a very rare thing. If Cheeto loses the first two rounds, he's going to be his most dangerous in three, four, and five. That's just how he works. He's got grit. And ultimately, this is going to turn into a brawl. I mean, does Cheeto have an answer for the movement of Dominic Cruz? Very few people do. The other side of the coin is like anybody. You get enough footage, you get enough matches and enough rounds and enough people studying, you can figure those problems out. Cheeto got asked about this, guys. He said something very interesting. They asked him about Dominic having a style that for many years has given guys problems they can't deal with. Guys have even tried to emulate and copy him. And Cheeto said, well, I'll tell you one thing about that. And he didn't put him down. He by no means said that Dominic's not as good as you believe he is. He did not say that, but he did say something interesting, which told me he studied. Whether you agree with this or not, it told me that Cheeto studied. Which is, he said Dominic's style has worked and is conducive to smaller guys. He said he doesn't get away with that style when he has a larger opponent. I don't know if you want to agree with that or not. But the fact that Cheeto believed that, and the fact that he studied, the fact that he knew what he was getting into, I think Cheeto would agree with me. The first round's not going to go well. He's probably not going to concede that he's going to lose the first round, but he's going to admit that. He comes on. He takes just a minute. And I find that to be very interesting. When everybody, including Cheeto, knows the first round, and maybe even two, don't get frustrated because they're not going to go my way. Well, now now you got to win the next three if you're doing the decision business or you've got to stop the dominator, which I don't think anybody's done. I remember Uriah choked him one time, and I know Cejudo finished him, which Dom argued was early. I mean, is he the guy that you bet is going to get finished? Because if you're betting that Cheeto's going to win, moreover, go, go really get the money, guys, and bet that Cheeto wins by stoppage. For me, at least, that's far more likely way to win. Very hard to get a decision on Dom. Very hard to slow Dominic down. Very hard to make Cheeto quit. I mean, this is a brawl. I'm working through this thing. I got cur- I have the courage to come out and make predictions. I've never left you guys. I can't pick a guy. I know this guy, and I know this guy, and I don't want to hurt his feelings. I don't ever do that, guys. I'm still working through it. I do not agree with two to one. I also don't agree that Dominic's days are done. I also don't believe that Dominic, in a chance to fight at home, is going to show up anything other than 100%. I don't think it's going to backfire. Some guys wilt. Some guys feel the pressure. For some guys, it's a real negative. The last place they want to fight is in their backyard. And that's not the way guys like Dominic work. you got a long fight here. You should not have a two-to-one spread. If you got the courage to pick Cheeto and you want to go pick up the money... Just go a little bit further with that bet and, and bet that it's going to be by stoppage because that is by far Cheeto's most likely route. I don't believe we get there. I believe we go a decision, and I believe Dominic Cruz.
All right, guys, that's it for today's episode. Thank you for listening. And a special thanks to Duck, who left a review on Apple Podcasts, which says, Chael is the best when he speaks about the psychology of a fighter. Well, thank you, Duck. And I agree. Enjoy the weekend. Make sure you come back next Wednesday. Until then, I'm Chael Sonnen, and you are welcome.